I'm Mark Powell. I'm one of the shepherds here at Sycamore View, also a professor at Harding School of Theology here in Memphis. I'm filling in for Josh this morning, and it's exciting to see everybody here in person. I know we have a lot of folks joining us on live stream as well, and it's exciting to just be together, worship our God together. So we are in the middle of a strange season, and of course there's this global pandemic. We have social unrest. We have a contentious election coming up have natural disasters all around us. There's hurricanes to the south and wildfires out to the west. And one thing I've learned during this season is the rest of our lives aren't just put on hold while everything else rages around us. And so we have personal tragedies and suffering and difficulties that we face in this time. And yet even in this odd season that we're in, the shepherds and the ministers here think that this is the ideal time for us to talk about our vision. And in fact, I do want to acknowledge, I mean, Josh was a key driver in that, and I think he's exactly right. We can't just sit there and, and have our lives on hold. God's doing things in our midst, and we need to see what God's doing and reorient ourselves to God's vision. So a key uh, term for us right now is awakening. God is doing things in the world, and we want to be attuned to that. We want to be awake to what God is doing in the world and in this church in our individual lives. What is God doing in us and through us for His glory? We also have a number of core values that we're going to be emphasizing over the coming months. For this month, we are emphasizing discipleship. We boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church. To be a disciple is to be a learner of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. And when I hear that term, I get excited uh, the term discipleship is an important term in Scripture. It sets our hearts on mission. But this morning, I want us to think uh, more carefully about what exactly it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And what we're going to do, there's five passages from the book of Matthew that I'm going to read this morning, and I want us to reflect on together this morning. I'm going to re be reading a lot from the biblical text and the purpose of this is for us to hear Jesus. Let Jesus convict us. Let Jesus teach us what it means to be a disciple. So the first text we'll look at is from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. Now one thing we're going to see in all these texts is that Jesus is on the go. He's on the move. He's on a journey. And following Jesus isn't about sitting still. It's about going where Jesus goes. And this last verse, I think, summarizes really well what's, what strikes me about this whole passage. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. This took place at once. They didn't wait. And when I think about the, the relationships that are mentioned here, so their, their work in fishing, 
their family relationships with fathers and brothers. When I think of my life, those are some of the most central aspects of my life, my family, my work. And yet Jesus calls us in the middle of that. He calls us to lead that or be willing to lead that. And Jesus is going to transform it. It's going to look different. No longer are they going to be fishing for fish. They're going to be fishing for people. And so when Jesus calls us, He transforms these other things in our lives that are so central to us. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. This will be the second passage we look at. When Jesus saw the crowd around Him, He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to Him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Another disciple said to Him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Again, Jesus is on the go. He's on a journey. There's these would-be followers who want to follow Him. And this passage here is shocking. It stings. I have this tendency when I read a passage like this to somehow take some of the sting off, right? Maybe, you know, maybe there's something about burial customs in ancient Israel that would make this more understandable. And I just don't think that's the case here. I, I, this is a shocking passage today. It was a shock, shocking call back when Jesus first said it. Jesus reminds those who want to follow Him. You can go outside. Animals have a home. Birds have a nest. The Son of Man doesn't have a home. For me, home is one of those uh, valuable words in my life. It's a, a place where you can come at the end of the day and rest. It's a place where you belong. It's a place where you raise your kids. It's a place where you grow old. Home is an important word for us. And yet here Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you may not have a home. You may have to give that up. The other disciple has what seems to me a pretty simple request. He just wants to go and bury his father, and then he's going to follow Jesus. And I think of all the things that go on in our lives, all the obligations we have, all the things that we would like to take care of and get our house in order and then follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I must come first. I'm more important than these other obligations. This is the opportunity today to follow me. There's no, no reason to wait. The obligation to follow Jesus is more important than any other obligation we may have. And so, I think Jesus challenges us today. If we're not following Him, if we're not following Him wholeheartedly, what is it that keeps us from being a full-fledged disciple of Jesus? Matthew chapter 10, and I'll begin in verse 37. Whoever loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake 
will find it. Again, Jesus reminds us that these other relationships in our life, whether it's father, mother, son, daughter, they're not important, more important than following Christ. And this morning, if there's any relationship, a family relationship, a romantic relationship, a friendship, anything we may have that is more important to us than following Jesus, Jesus tells us we're not quite ready to be His follower. For the first time in Matthew, Jesus then introduces this language of taking up your cross. Following Jesus is a matter of life and death. And it's going to require our death. This is the language Jesus uses for what it's going to take to follow Him. We have to die to ourselves so that we might be able to follow with Him and find the new life that He offers. A fourth passage I want us to read is from Matthew chapter 16. And I'll begin in verse 21. And we could read a lot more in this, this text here. Uh, this is a pivotal point in the Gospel of Matthew. It's really the turning point. Right before this passage, Peter, for the first time, acknowledges that Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is called the Great Confession. The first time we have it so clearly stated. And uh, we're going to see here that while Peter understands this partly, he doesn't understand it fully. And I think about us, and I think about me this morning, and we, we give praise to God, we worship Jesus as our Savior, as a Son of God, as risen King. And yet, do we really understand what that means? Well, right after Peter makes his great confession, Jesus says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the first of four times in Matthew that Jesus starts to tell his disciples he's going to go to Jerusalem. Again, he's on a journey. He's, on, he's, he's got a, a journey he's on here. He's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die. It's the Father's will that the Messiah take up his cross and die. And the disciples don't quite understand that yet. It takes time for this to sink in. Even after Jesus has risen from the dead, they're continuing to try to grow in discipleship. They're continuing to try to let this sink in and shape their lives. Not only does Jesus have to die, it's God's will that if we follow Him, we too must take up our cross. We too must 
die to ourselves. And in several of these texts, Jesus talks about life. If you're looking for your life, where do you find it? I think for so many of us, we're looking for life, trying to find meaning and purpose. We, We look for life in our jobs. We look for life in relationships. We look for life in social causes. Jesus says, if you want to find life, it's found in me, it's found in following me, it's found in the kingdom of God. And we have to die to all these other things if we truly want to find life in following Christ. Our last passage, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. This is the Great Commission after Jesus has died and been raised from the dead. He's about to go back to the Father And his last words in Matthew were these. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says if we're going to be a follower of His, if we're going to be a disciple, that's going to include making disciples. We make disciples by going out, by baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I think this is crucial here, teaching these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. A life of discipleship includes a life of obedience, of hard obedience, even those things we would prefer not to obey. We have to obey everything. And there's two promises here that are central. First, Jesus says, He has all authority. Jesus reigns. You know, so often in this world, it looks like Jesus isn't the one in control. God isn't the one in control. We think the politicians are in control. Those in the media, entertainment industry, maybe they're in control. Maybe business leaders are in control. Maybe in this, this season, we recognize how far out of control Actually, we all are. But God reigns. God is in control. Jesus is Lord. And then secondly here, it says he's going to be with uh, his disciples to the end of the age. He's promised his presence to be with us. His spirit will be with us. We're not alone as we seek to be disciples of Jesus. So four things I want to emphasize from these texts that stood out to me this week and I hope... um, they're as challenging to you as they have been to me. First of all, discipleship is a radical commitment. It's a death to ourselves. It's not just another add-on I'm going to add to my life. Everything changes. Everything has a new orientation in light of Christ. And I think it's so significant that in our baptism, where we put our faith in Christ, we're united with Him, it is literally patterned after, right, a death burial, and resurrection. We're dying to our old self, and we're raised up to live a new life. When we are baptized, we die to ourselves. One of the uh, most memorable baptism stories I've heard uh, was of a lady named Myrtle Bailey. Myrtle Bailey was the wife of J.C. Bailey. He was an evangelist up in Canada, planted a lot of churches up in Canada. When Myrtle Bailey was baptized, she was baptized before they got married. She lived in Montana. It was the middle of winter. It was 30 degrees below zero. 
And they didn't have an indoor baptistry, by the way, that was heated. So they go out to the lake, and they cut a hole in the lake, and they have to cut a hole that's three feet thick through the ice. Okay, not three inches, three feet. The ice is so thick that this was very kind of them, very thoughtful. They made some steps in the ice so that she could walk down into the lake and others who were being baptized could walk down into the lake. She says that she was looking at this baptistry. It looked like a grave. And she made a commitment right there that she was going to live wholeheartedly for Christ. If she was going to get married, she was going to get married to a Christian man and she was going to devote herself to the work of the kingdom. Ended up marrying J.C. Bailey and spent a life of planning churches and and uh, proclaiming the gospel throughout Canada. There's times like this, baptisms like this, where we're reminded of what's really at stake. When we go down into those waters, we really die to the old self, and we're raised to live a new life. Second thing that strikes me from these passages is how discipleship is our primary obligation. It's above all other obligations. It transforms all other obligations. Jesus comes before family. Jesus comes before our work. We may or may not be called to leave our family, to leave our work. We may, but Jesus comes first, and he's going to transform everything we do so that what we do now is about the kingdom of God. It's not about ourselves. It's not about my own prestige or my own affluence or my own power. Our lives are about the kingdom. It's about dying to ourselves. It's about serving others for the glory of God and for the good of God of all people. A third thing here. Discipleship is a journey. This is a lifelong process. The disciples are constantly trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. We have to constantly wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean day by day to die to ourselves, to live for something greater, to live for God? That's a lifelong process. We never graduate from Jesus' school. And then finally here, discipleship is a sharing in God's life and mission. I think this is so exciting because we get to live lives in the presence of God. We get to live lives that are worship to God. We're not hiding from God. We're not ashamed before God. And we have a purpose. It's not about our purpose. It's about God's purposes, God's mission. This mission that we talk about, it's not something we create. It's something God's doing, and we get to join in it. And so we get to participate in what God's doing in the world and be a blessing to others with our lives and proclaim good news in our words and our actions. We're agents of God's reconciliation, God's restoration in the world. Discipleship is a death. It includes a cross. And I know for most of us here, when we think of discipleship, this is a powerful image. Maybe it's a metaphor. I'm sure most of us won't face death for Christ. And yet that doesn't necessarily mean our discipleship is any less significant. There's a quote from, or an illustration from Fred Craddock. He was a well-known minister of his generation. He passed away several years ago. It's always stuck with me about what it means for me to be a disciple, to die daily. And this is what Fred Craddock says. We think giving all, all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table 
Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank, has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters, and we go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. For a majority of us, this was what dying to ourselves and being a disciple is going to look like. It's a daily decision to die to myself, to live for Christ. And when we talk about 25 cents and these little acts of love, uh, we shouldn't uh, sentimentalize this. Uh, this This is tough. This is difficult. Loving others uh, can be hard. And so we have to die to ourselves so we can show the love of God uh, to others, even those who've hurt us in deep ways. 25 cents at a time, day by day, dying to ourselves. But we need to also remember that there are Christians throughout the world who when they hear the message of the gospel, when they're united with Christ in baptism, they are putting their lives on the line. So one of the great blessings of teaching at Harding School of Theology, where I do, we have students literally from all over the country and all over the world. There's one student, Manny Pagadapali. I have a picture of him preaching in India. He's a medical doctor and an evangelist out in India. And I'm always just inspired when I get reports back from Manny. In India, it is primarily Hindu There's a large Muslim population as well. Christians are by far the minority, but that is rapidly changing. At the church where Manny is at, they have over a thousand baptisms a year. That's three a day or more if you're counting. He says a day doesn't go by that they don't have a baptism. But when these individuals put on Christ and baptism, it's cost them something. They lose social benefits. They lose family ties. They lose jobs. They lose scholarships in college. They lose medical benefits. It costs something when they make a decision. I'm no longer a Hindu. I'm no longer a Muslim. I'm going to be a Christian. And they also face death from radical Hindus who are fearful of how Christianity is changing Indian society. I don't tend to walk around worrying about radical Hindus, but they do. And he has stories of Christians who are poisoned by their family members, parents, spouses. There's a picture also of uh, this training school, preacher training school that Manny works with. And these people that they train, these men that they train go out and proclaim the gospel in the villages and the towns and the cities. And any given year, three of these men will die. Five of these men will die at the hands of radical Hindus as they're coming back from preaching the gospel. I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to imagine uh, with the students I have, just thinking that every year, yes, we're going to lose three, five students uh, because they're going to die for their faith. And what's equally amazing is they have a waiting list, about another thousand people wanting to get into school, and um, there's more who want to be a part of being trained to go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so the example of our brothers and sisters literally on the other side of the world is transformative to me. You know, sometimes we think of Christianity on the, rec- on the retreat or Christianity's in the decline, and in some instances it is in the West, but I'm telling you worldwide it is exploding. 
And there are people who are giving their lives to Christ. They want to be a follower of Jesus. They're literally dying so that they can have life in Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, I Had Decided to Follow Jesus. This is a simple song, maybe a song you grew up singing in camp. I think it's a very powerful song. This song is attributed to Christians in India. I don't know if you knew that. But we can trace back just the, the musical style that seems to come from India, and it is attributed to Christians facing persecution in India, just like those that Manny works with. And this morning we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. As we do, we're going to have some images on the screen. These are uh, recent converts in India who have been baptized. And as we sing this song, as we think about their faith, how they literally are giving up their lives for the sake of the gospel, I hope will encourage us to think about our commitment to Christ, our commitment to die to ourselves so that we can be a part of following Jesus. And I know we live in this really un uh, unusual time right now, but I do want to say, say this. Now is a great time to follow Christ. Now is a great time to put our faith in Him, to be united with Him in baptism. We have one person that's going to be baptized this morning. Today is the day of salvation. If you're joining us on live stream, you can go to our website. And on the front page of our website, there's a place to fill in a Connect card. You can let us know of your desire to follow Jesus. If you're here and you want to unite yourself with Christ in baptism, put your faith in Him. We'll have shepherds. right As you go out this, this uh, building, the first door on the right, go out of the auditorium, we'll have a shepherd there, and we'd love to help you make a commitment to follow Christ. So let's all stand. We'll sing together. I had decided to follow Jesus.